17 days from now, September the 1st, Oklahoma kicks off the 2018 season at home against Florida Atlantic. I just checked the spread on that game. 20 and a half Oklahoma is favored by. Months ago, it was 21. So that means a little bit of money has come in on FAU. I'm not surprised. The Owls are going to be a dangerous team this fall. The Sooners do not have an easy opening game. 13 days from now, August 28th, will mark the one-year anniversary of West of Everest. I remember texting Grant last summer and saying, hey, would you be interested in doing an Oklahoma football podcast? And he replied simply, well, yeah, or something like that. I don't know if that's actually verbatim what he texted me, but it was basically that. For a couple of months, we did some dry run shows, worked out the kinks, and to some extent, we, uh, we had a lot of kinks to work out, and that kind of carried into the actual shows. But we released episode one days before the Sooners opened the 2017 season against UTEP, and I'd like to think that we've steadily improved in content and quality since that first episode. And we only expect to get better. Miraculously, in 60 episodes, and now this will be episode 61, Grant and I have both been available, despite weird schedule changes and the strain of doing two shows per week during the football season. After all, this isn't our only job. Grant and I do this podcast for fun. But it does take up some extra time, as you all might expect. I bring all of this up because of this. Two days from now, August 17th, Grant is getting married. And following his nuptials with his beautiful bride, they will be traveling for two weeks. So next week, after this episode, episode 62, Grant's going to be absent, enjoying his honeymoon. But no need to worry. Grant will be back on the show in time for game week. Beginning Monday, August 27th, West of Everest is going back to two episodes per week. That first show will be our big season preview podcast where we'll provide all of our OU football predictions as well as predictions for the Big 12 and the rest of the nation. Then later that week, Grant and I will preview OU versus Florida Atlantic. Now, Grant will still be overseas during that time. I'm not sure how we're going to do this. We've been trying to iron out all the logistics the best we can. But the plan as of this day is to both be available to preview Florida Atlantic. Hopefully it works out. It'll be interesting to see and find out where Grant is recording the podcast from, which European country he is in to talk Oklahoma football. So that's coming up in the next couple of weeks. So in a way, this is my state of the podcast address. We hope you're enjoying the show as much as we are producing and recording it each week. And as always, thanks for the support. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Benson's pick is short. And taken by Brandon Daniels, who was a quarterback last year, and he has some running room at the 30, the 40. He's got blockers, and Daniels is going to go all the way for a touchdown. Oh, my. Oh. <laughs> I knew you were going to say, oh, my. <laughs> it deserved it. What a start. An 89-yard answer for Oklahoma from senior Brandon Daniels. 
He was the Sooners quarterback for a couple of years. Then Bob Stoops arrived in Norman, and Brandon Daniels turned into an incredibly reliable wide receiver for Josh Heupel back in 1999. Daniels' 89-yard kickoff return touchdown against Notre Dame back in 99 tied things up with the Irish in the first quarter. Unfortunately, OU would lose that game 34-30, the first-ever loss of the Bob Stoops era. Hey everyone, once again, I am Lee Benson and this is West of Everest. Welcome to the show. Grant will join me in a moment to talk about OU's first scrimmage of the fall, an update to our Day 1 Starters Predictions Defense Edition, plus everything else that's gone on in fall camp between last week and today. And at the end of the show, we'll talk Baker Mayfield a little bit in Cleveland and maybe a little bit of Urban Meyer. Quickly though, if you're listening to the podcast on iTunes, please take a moment and leave us a rating and or a review. We've got nothing but five-star ratings and reviews up to this point. All the positive feedback is much appreciated and also helps the show in the iTunes rankings, making it easier for other potential listeners to find the show and things like that. So we appreciate the support. If you can help us out the best you can, we thank you for that as well. Also, make sure to like the West of Everest Facebook page. You can search for us on Facebook, or if you like to Google things, just go to Google, type in West of Everest Facebook into Google, and we should pop up immediately. Our Facebook page is cool because we do the opening take live on Facebook Live, so you can watch Grant or I in the moment with our latest takes, and you can interact with us live if you so choose. I was on there uh, earlier today, just moments ago, uh, before we started recording the rest of the podcast, so thanks to you all who watched that. All right, let's not waste any more time. Grant, how's it going today? Going really well, Lee. It's going really well. We're getting just very, very close to the season starting um, so I'm just getting really excited. I also really appreciate uh, your opening take there, Lee. That's that's very that's very nice. Uh, letting everybody know that I am getting married on Friday. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, you got it. And uh, we don't talk about really anything outside of our lives except for football in this podcast. So I just figured throw that one in there. Uh, you would never have known that Grant was getting married because he hasn't talked about it at all in this podcast. And so figured bring it up there because he's, he's going to be gone for at least one show. He's going to be in Europe and he actually wanted to do the podcast next week, but I told him, I said, Hey, don't worry about it. You're not going to want to do it anyways, because you're going to be busy and it'll be difficult and you, you know, being overseas and whatnot. So, so one episode away, it'll be fine. We'll, we'll figure it out though for the next episodes. And, um, so yeah, uh, that'll be interesting. We're going to, uh, I'll be in Minneapolis this uh, weekend for all the uh, the fun events. So, if you think for one second that being in Europe is going to, uh, I don't know, at least like stop the momentum of my of my football fever right now, you are sorely mistaken. But still, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why this is uh, a mid August wedding and not a mid September wedding or a mid October wedding. This is. This had to get done before football, and uh, the whole honeymoon had to be done basically before football. So this was somewhat planned out. 100% accurate. It was it was going to be August, or it was going to be the winter, because I one of my uh, one of my the things that I was always say I'm just not going to get married during college football season. That's it's it's disrespectful, and you know I just <laughs> it's there's disrespectful. Yeah, you know people people have stuff to do on Saturdays in the fall. It's disrespectful yeah. to get married. End of story. All right. Uh, The Sooners, they're more than halfway through fall camp now. And for the first time this August, Oklahoma went on to Owen Field 
and scrimmaged Monday morning. Of course, media not invited to the scrimmage. So all we have is uh, as visual proof of the scrimmage are photos that Oklahoma Athletics posted to its website. Uh, I looked through all the photos and nothing stood out to me that's worth diving into, which is probably on purpose uh, on their part. And after the scrimmage, which happened in the rain, by the way, on Monday morning, Lincoln Riley did talk to the OU media, the in-house media. And the main thing that I took away from Riley is that he said the defense won the scrimmage. So the defense must have played well. Uh, so it would seem that we don't have a lot to talk about in regards to this first Sooners scrimmage. However, at least one West of Everest source has information about what happened in that scrimmage. Grant, would you like me to explain what the source told me, or do you have some other thoughts before I continue? No, I have literally zero interest in hearing what this unnamed source has to say. Um, I, well, yeah, of, of course I want to hear. Let's let's hear what you got to say. But before before you say that, I do want to say that um, you know I, I I've been following OU fall camp. I mean, for you know over a decade now, and this is by far the most secret fall camp they've had. It's not even remotely close. So I, I I wanted to to just throw that out there right now. There there's obviously a a pretty a pretty obvious effort within the program to uh, at, at secrecy. It's it seems fairly clear to are, me. Are you sure that you're not just uh, making that claim within the moment because it's you know it's it's recency bias? No, I'm not. This is I mean this is the the least amount of media availability uh, they've ever had beforehand. Um, there's just not a, there's mm, no, they, I mean they give us it's it's pretty similar to last year they've I mean, they, been they give us like three different availabilities as, as far as like talking to the coaches and stuff this is really the first time they haven't given like any sort of uh, scrimmage highlights or anything like that you'll typically see that um, the they showed pictures and whatnot uh, none of them were even really like in-game pictures I didn't even seem like um, I don't know I, I just it, it seems like there's there's uh there's not as much information coming out of the program this year. I mean, you're you're right that it might be in the in the moment, but but this year it, it does kind of seem like there there's a tad more secrecy going. And, and and I mean, I'm not just I'm not just coming you know out of nowhere from that. There's it's I, I think it's pretty obvious too that there's some sort of misdirection going on, especially when they're talking about how there's so many competitions everywhere when there's obviously not. So I mean, they're they're they're, they're trying to put on a show. I think isn't there something. though? There's not. There just isn't. <laughs> Well, I suppose we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Well, I'm, there's uh, okay. there's there, there's two positions that I'm speaking of. You know the, you know outside linebacker and quarterback. There, there's no competition there. All right. Well, we'll dive into more of that later because maybe you'll change your mind after you hear these notes from the scrimmage. Okay. So you mentioned it's it's it seems a little more secretive than normal. Well, this first note that we have from the West of Everest source that was at the at the OU scrimmage is not a secret. Uh, but it's just good to have confirmation. The first note is Rodney Anderson is still a stud. Surprising. That's it. They didn't like expunge on that at all. It's just he's a stud. There's like no, no, no examples. Well, that's slightly yeah. disappointing, isn't it? Yeah, that's why I led with that one. That one was kind of like, yeah, I'm not surprised. Okay, well, at least you, right. well, at, at least you led with by far the most disappointing one. Did all you right, also so know I, that I think... water is wet? Hmm. Mm, well, well, uh, eh, check your sources on that one. See these these notes. The first one's not that big of a deal. The second one's like okay, a little better. And then the last one is is the most interesting. Although I have a feeling that you're not going to find it that interesting. So that's number one. Here's number two. Kenneth Murray looks way more comfortable out there. 
That's good. And I, that's and, the second one. And I hope he would. I hope he would. All right, so that's a little bit better because there's a lot of question marks surrounding him. He's supposed to be the leader of the defense. I mean, he was the first defensive player Lincoln Riley mentioned in uh, at Big 12 Media Days when talking about defensive leaders, and he's just a true sophomore. So uh, it's good that he's looking more comfortable out there. And also he was uh, asked to speak after the scrimmage as well. OU Athletics had uh, Riley and they had Murray doing interviews. So those are the first two. The last one. The quarterback competition grant is that's all they, legitimate. That's all they said? Okay, so that's... That's what I the mean, last... That's, so that's right. all they you're said. You're right that I'm, I'm not putting any stock in, in, in that at all, because it's not. Everyone, everyone knows who the quarterback going, is going to be. Well, here's the thing. I also have heard from another source inside the program that the quarterback competition is real. Uh, I will qualify that, though, by saying that this person is well inside the program, which means... Uh, I wouldn't anticipate this person telling me anything negative. So basically, he's like a—he's somebody who would be kind of a sunshine pumper. So I'll—I'll take—I'll take his his info with a grain of salt. Sure, and I—I I, I said this a couple shows ago, but I, I have no doubt that the the quarterback competition is quote unquote real in the same sense that a competition between Caleb Kelly and some walk on at linebacker is also a real competition. You know what I mean? In, in the sense that if, if if one just so blatantly outplays the other and one is just so much more talented than the other, then of course you'll go with the other guy. But we already like we, we know a lot about Kyler Murray already. He's not going to lose the job. That's that, that's kind of the point. All right. But I, I will say I think that this other source that I, I just mentioned at, at the top, I think this is a pretty good source. Uh, and, and I'll tell you who it is off uh, off air. I hate to do that to the listeners. I'm sorry, but I got I got to keep it quiet. I'll tell you off the air who it is. Uh but so like my point being is that like when this person says the quarterback competition is legitimate after watching the first scrimmage, I think the obvious follow-up question to that is, could Austin Kendall really be starting game one against Florida Atlantic? What do you think? No. No, no? I think it's okay. I, 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 I think it's possible. Okay. Barring any injury or anything like that, uh, no, it's not possible. Okay. Sorry. It is possible, but it is very, very unlikely. Like it's, it's, it's about it's, it's, it's a ninety-nine percent proposition that it's going to be Kyler Murray. Yeah, I, uh, I think it's difficult to fathom Kendall starting as well. I just don't see how Kyler Murray would be able to stay engaged with football if he's not playing, not starting. However, I will say if Kendall does beat out Murray, given all of the circumstances surrounding this situation. Here's another question for you. Would Kendall beating out Murray, would that say more about Austin Kendall or would that say more about Kyler Murray in your estimation? Well, based off everything that we've heard about Kyler Murray over the last two years, it would say a whole hell of a lot about Austin Kendall because Kyler Murray is thought of very, very highly in this program. Um, so I... Yeah, yeah I, I, agree. I, I, I agree with you. I, I've, I've said it numerous times. I think I, I think both are, you know, are good enough to... Uh, to lead OU to a Big 12 championship this year, and, and maybe more. I, I don't know. We'll we'll decide once we actually see the team in pads live. But, yeah, I mean, we're going to see Austin Kendall this year, and we're going to see him for two years after this year. So, you know, I've – this th- this is pretty easy for me. I, I don't th- – this th- – this, I, I understand that it's fall camp and you have to chase the story, and, and this is – you know, and the coaching staff continues to tell us this is the story. But I, I it's – the writing is on the wall. Yeah, I would agree, though, too. If if this really is a situation, a job that Kendall can win and Kendall does win the job, I think that says a lot more about Kendall than it does about Murray. It tells me that 
man, this guy's a really good quarterback, or at least he's had a really good fall camp at the very least. So, uh, but yeah, I uh, I'm with you. I'll maintain that uh, it would be incredibly shocking if Kyler Murray's not starting Week One. That would be the biggest story in college football if Austin Kendall wins the starting job by far. Uh, the big the biggest story in college football on the field. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that would that would trump the the whole Alabama thing with Tua and Jalen Hurts and that whole quarterback issue there. I mean, that. Well, probably because it's looking like it's you know it's definitely going to be Tua over there, so it's not going to be particularly newsworthy over there. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. If if Austin Kendall beat out Kyler Murray, there'd be that. You're right. The day of that was announced, that would be the biggest story in college football. All right, let's move past the scrimmage and and move over to the linebacker competition and. For you, Grant, I would assume that the word competition in this scenario would be in air quotes. Uh, yeah. But oh, yeah. Last week, though. Completely in air quotes. <laughs> but last week, though, Lincoln Riley did make a point in one of his media availabilities to say that both Kenneth Murray and Caleb Kelly do not have starting spots locked in. And he mentioned Curtis Bolton and Deshaun White, the true freshman. They are in the mix for those jobs. And. Uh, you have another note here in the rundown that I see that you put in there that I'll let you go over here right now. Oh, yeah, it looks like so this kind of happened late last week. I think it was Thursday or Friday, but there was some talk going around that because of the emergence of Deshaun White, they had maybe moved uh, John Michael Terry over to the jack position. Um, and per Brandon Drum, I think he's the OU uh, 24-7 guy. He used to be at the Football Brainiacs. Uh, he tweeted on Friday that Lincoln Riley did confirm that John Michael Terry moved to Jack. And I actually did go back to look at uh, the quote from Riley, and he said that he, he confirmed that uh, John Michael Terry was working at Jack Backer. So um, anyway, everything that we're seeing, it looks like Deshaun White has has overtook John Michael Terry for on the depth chart at middle linebacker. I think that looks like that's fairly you know set and confirmed as of right now. Okay. Uh, and that's yeah. and all. Hey, I'll, and this is another uh, where I want to go back to what um, I don't know a ton about recruiting. I've always said that you know that's that's not my that's not my baby. That's not where I have a lot of confidence. Um, just shows you a lot how much I know. I did not love Deshaun White's uh, tape in in high school. It was just it was very blah and average to me. And so apparently he's awesome. So that's <laughs> take. take Take it for what you will. But, hey, I also I, I also said that, uh, you know, Delarian Turner yells high school tape is some of the best I'd ever seen, and apparently he's a stud. So, you know. Well, I actually watched – we went over this uh, off the air. Just speaking of Delarian Turner yell, I watched his tape as well because you mentioned that you liked it a lot. And I didn't particularly love it very much because he, he didn't show me a lot in the tape that I want to see considering he's in the Big 12. 90% of his tape in high school that I saw was him coming up to stop the run. I There was like maybe not even a handful of plays. I don't even think there was five plays where the ball was thrown and he had to play pass coverage. So I don't know if he can cover. I, I couldn't tell from the tape. But, yeah, I mean, the fact that Lincoln Riley has mentioned his name when talking about the secondary and says that he has a chance would show or mean that he's – playing well in fall camp so good for him uh and I and, I, I and I haven't seen Deshaun White's tape so I can't comment on his sure so Lee what I saw from his tape and yeah I mean I'll I'll, I'll grant you that that he's there's just not a lot of highlights there of him in coverage because you're right he is in the box a lot what I saw on his tape was a guy who was just who was very twitchy was very athletic and was playing just on a whole completely different level than everyone on the field as he was 
Um, and I know you, you know you can you can probably count it out by saying he's, play, he's playing a low you know a low class affiliation of of Texas high school football. He may have been that may have been the biggest discrepancy of 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 skill and talent I've ever seen from anybody in, in, in a tape. He was that much better than everyone else on the field in his tape. That that's kind of what I see there. I see I see like elite athleticism and twitchiness and toughness out of him. That's why I really liked his tape. He went to Hempstead in Texas, and Hempstead is a Class 3A school, so about middle of the pack. And what concerns me about that is I can totally envision a, a player like him because he was he was very reactionary. He came up. He made a lot of plays on the tape that I saw. What I'm afraid of is he has it ingrained in him that he always wants to go make a play. He's super, super aggressive. Then he gets to college and he faces against offenses that want to throw a lot and they just pick on him. They play with them. They do play action. They they use his aggressiveness against him and he makes a lot of mistakes. And then, you know, that first, second mistake he makes, he starts to second guess himself. And then mentally you're kind of checked out and maybe you can never recover. That's what I get afraid of when I see a guy, uh, when I see tape where the vast majority of it is him just going downhill and playing like a linebacker and, and stopping the run because there's not a whole lot of pass plays. He's the exact type of guy that the Sooners have been missing in their secondary over the last decade. They need him. He, the, that's the type of attitude that they need in the secondary. Well, let's hope um, he can and cover. So did you, and, and so, you know, that, that was one of the big, you know, worries about him coming out of school was, you know, his size as well, too, Lee. But I mean, if you look at the pictures of him at practice now, size is just not an issue. He's huge. He's big. <laughs> yeah, I'm not worried about size at this point. I mean, I wait to see him on the field, and if he plays and stuff, then maybe I'll have a comment on size because players can can overcome that and and play bigger than they really are so but initially we were talking linebackers <laughs> I, <laughs> I i did not anticipate a delaren turner yell sidebar but that was pretty good okay, well outside of buki delaren turner yell is is my guy in this class okay. I, I, he's gonna be he he's gonna be the guy from this class just i'm just throwing it out there right now that everyone uh, that everyone's gonna be surprised of how good of a player he's gonna be all right you're on record for that yeah, and hey, and, and I've been saying that since January, too. I just want to throw that out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have. All right, let's get back to the linebackers, though. And the question that comes to my mind, and I know that you're not uh, a big believer in this being an actual competition, but here's my question for you, though. Are the coaches just saying all of this to further motivate Murray and Kelly, or do Curtis Bolton and Deshaun White actually pose a threat to the incumbent starters? I think we already know your answer to that. It's no. Yeah. It's no, they they don't they don't particularly pose a threat. That doesn't mean they're not going to play. I think Curtis Bolton's probably going to play a lot, uh, but I'm sorry, you, you just you you don't you don't recruit Caleb Kelly to put Curtis Bolton over him coming off of a torn ACL. You just don't. Yeah, I'd lean towards. Uh, I'm with you. I'd lean toward this being coach speak, just to kind of motivate the guys, make them play a little better. However, though, it would be nice if Bolton and White really are playing as well as they're supposedly playing in practice, because then that. It hopefully means that depth is actually pretty solid at linebacker, which Oklahoma oh, yeah. very, needs as very much, much depth so. as possible on that side of the football. And, and Bolton being back is nice. You know, he's not he's not the most physically gifted guy, uh, but you know, anytime you throw a guy back there who's got five years of experience, he's a solid player. Um, he's a solid player, and he's yeah. made plays. He, he he made he made some plays in 2016. So I'm not I'm not you know I'm not upset that Curtis Bolton is in the too deep of this of these linebackers. No, I mean, it's a no. good thing. It, yeah. They they missed him quite a bit last year. One other thought I had during all of this linebacker discussion, we haven't heard much at all in fall camp in the first couple of weeks from the defensive coaches or Lincoln Rally about Ryan Jones. And it's it's kind of assumed. I, I don't know if it's been 
announced that he's like the starting Sam backer. I, I think it's a kind of assumed he is. I saw that the Football Brainiacs website reported that Jones is battling with freshman Nick Benito for that job. And I believe Brainiacs said that Jones is the number one guy taking first team reps. Uh, but, you know, the fact that there hasn't been a whole lot of talk about the Sam linebacker position, do you think this provides further evidence that Mike Stoops is going to try to run a lot more nickel this season? Yes, maybe. And I think you could you could probably argue that maybe he was thinking about doing that last year before the rash of injuries. Yeah. Um, so, well, you know, we'll see. Sorry, I mean, that, that, that's putting, you know, that, that's getting, you know, a, a little too ahead of ourselves. But, yeah, I mean, that, that could certainly be part. That, that's certainly, you know, a tick in that column for, you know, uh, you know, for that level of thought, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, I think, I, and, I, think and, and, and I hope so. That's, I mean, that's that's what they need to be doing. All right, let's move on to the secondary, and we have Robert Barnes versus Justin Broyles battling it out for free uh, the free safety starting spot. And I will uh, give a, a a courtesy to the Brainiacs once more. I saw that they uh, were reporting late last week that Justin Broyles has been getting reps with the first team. And uh, one of their sources within the article I read from the Brainiac said that Broyles is up on Barnes by, quote, a landslide. So it would seem, at least according to these sources, or at least that one source, that, that Justin Broyles is having a very nice camp. Um, Grant, I, how much of the lack of development it would seem by Robert Barnes, do you think, is, is injury-related versus just maybe talent-related? Or have you even given that much thought? I, I've given it some thought, yeah, and I, I, you know, I'd like to think that Justin Broyles is just so good that that maybe, uh, but yeah, I, I think by this time, you know, at this point, you do have to question whether or not Robert Barnes is, is ever going to kind of reach that lofty status, um, you know, the type of recruit he was. You would think if he ever lived up to that, you know, he'd be he'd be starting by his second year on campus, and, uh, you know, Lee, there's, there's one guy usually, you know, in every single camp every year where, you know, people always talk about, and that person always ends up in the starting lineup, and it's starting to become clearly that that person this year is Justin Broyles. Last year it was Parnell Motley. Um, this year it's Broyles. I mean, I think you're, it's, it's, it's getting pretty close. You, you may be able just to be able to pencil him in. Because all you do is hear about people talking about Justin Broyles, and people have to ask about Robert Barnes. Yeah, I like Justin Broyles. I saw his... Uh... I saw his tape kind of when I heard that he was getting a little bit of run. Four-star guy. He redshirted last year. He's out of John Marshall in Oklahoma City. Played cornerback in high school. And from what I saw, I mean, he had a good mix of playing the pass, stopping the run on his tape. He looks like a player, very athletic, very talented. And I think being a redshirt last year, uh, not having any game action, I you know, he didn't you know, have any f- – any uh, experience playing cornerback in college, I think that might make it a little easier for him considering that now he's without any game action. Now he's going to get his first game action as a safety. So like he switched positions, but I don't think it's gonna be that big of a deal for him because he hasn't played corner in college at all. So he'll only have safety reps right now in college. So I think that him going from cornerback to safety is not a big deal either. Just like, I don't think it's that big of a deal that Parker is moving from corner to safety. And so I'm curious to see what he looks like because apparently he's uh, been a leader of this defense in camp and a player who didn't play at all last year and redshirted. Seems like he has a lot of confidence. And uh, it's looking like right now that he's going to be the starter or one of the starters in the safety, uh, one of the safety positions unless Robert Barnes ends up beating him out. So, I mean, there's still plenty of camp left. Things could change. But that's kind of what we've we've learned so far, at least according to the Brainiacs. 
Um, let's see. With that, I suppose we can move on to our uh, starters on defense updated predictions. So now that we've gone over some of those key position battles, those news and notes, those new nuggets, I think it's a good time, as I said, to update our predictions on who's going to start day one. Uh, we're just going to do defense today because offense is there's a lot more positions that are set in stone. Uh, so defense is a lot more interesting. So we'll stick with the defense right now. And the last time we updated our predictions was back in May. So a little more than three months ago. If you want to hear those predictions, you can go back to episode 53, I believe. It was May 9th. So if you want to go go check that out, you can get all the details from it. Uh, we will go over just briefly who we had. Because uh, now we have new info, which means that our predictions have changed. I'm not sure how much Grant's has changed, but mine's definitely changed a little bit. Uh, here's the format we're going to go with. Mike Stoops has hinted that he'd like to play a lot more nickel this season. So first up, we're going to predict who's starting in Oklahoma's base nickel defense. And we'll begin with the defensive line. So Grant, we're going to have you begin uh, first by saying who you had starting at each position back in May and then who you have starting now. Actually, you start. I need to pull up the other people from May. Sorry about that. That's fine. Okay, so I'll start. The, the reason why I wanted you to start actually is because you're the only one that actually did starters in nickel. But since we're starting with the defensive line, uh, my nickel and base 3-4 for the D-line D is exactly the same. So it'll work out anyway. So uh, for me, here are my starters on the defensive line back on May the 9th. Kenneth Mann at defensive end. Marquise Overton at defensive tackle. And then the third defensive lineman, Amani Bledsoe. And I know the Oklahoma defense, they list it as either a D tackle or a nose guard in the middle. But sometimes this year, at least one game this year, they actually had two defensive ends and one D tackle, like a traditional 3-4. Either way, the three defensive linemen I had in May was Mann, Overton, Bledsoe. So now updating it for August 15th. I still have Kenneth Mann at defensive end. So Mann has uh, been a player who has been entrenched there. Heard a lot of good things from him. Now at D-tackle, I've changed my mind. I have changed it to Neville Gallimore over Marquise Overton. And the reason for that is because I thought more about it. And even though I've been saying, okay, Neville Gallimore, I need to see it with my own two eyes before I buy stock into you. So therefore, I'm going to start. Overton over you I thought about it more and last year Neville began the season starting so you know what I think that he's going to get the shot again to start at the beginning of the season I think he'll earn that opening spot because of his ability his talent level he'll get a chance to show that he has improved and he can make plays this year so I'll go with Neville Gallimore now I've changed my mind for Marquise Marquise Overton I believe we haven't even figured... Okay, let's... Quick. Is it Marquise or Marquise? Do we even know for sure which one it is? I think it's Marquise. I think it's, I think it's Marquez. Oh. <laughs> that's really bad that we don't know for sure. That's, that's on no, us. I mean, you I, gotta figure I'm, that out. I'm like, I'm 90% sure it's Marquez Overton. All right, well, point of order. I gotta figure that out for sure. The thing is, Oklahoma doesn't have a name pronunciator on the roster. Either way, it's Overton. We know how to pronounce his last name. So I got Man Gallimore... And I still have Bledsoe as a third defensive lineman. So the 3D lineman, it was Man Overton Bledsoe in May. Now for me, I have Man Gallimore Bledsoe. Grant, are you ready to do yours yet? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, go for it. 
So okay, so in May, here here were my starters. Um, at the defensive end position, I had Amani Bledsoe. At defensive tackle, I had Overton, and then at at, uh, at nose tackle, I had Gallimore. Mine has changed, um, and so here it is. And a lot of it has to do just because I've I, I've studied the scheme a lot more as well. Um, and so a lot of the times, it's going to look like the Sooners are in a three four when they're actually in a four three, and that's what they were in a lot of the time last year. Um, they use the jack as that extra defensive end um, in, in the four three. So anyway, Lee, here's kind of with with that in mind. Here is my new start, and this is and this is a nickel based defense. Um, I think this is about as close as we're going to get to the to the starting eleven on defense on opening day. So defensive end is going to be Kenneth Mann. Of course, if you guys remember, um, I was very uh, you know I I got upset about that one, or Lee and I kind of got heated on that one because I was. Uh, you know, just very convinced that Kenneth Mann's not a guy who can start for this program. Uh, I'm wrong. He's very clearly going to start a defensive end for this program. Um, so, hey, I, I I hope Kenneth Mann can prove me wrong. Um, but I'll be I'll be completely honest with you. Kenneth Mann starting uh, every single play or playing every single play on this on this defense worries me a little bit. It, it worries me a little. Do bit. you know what Calvin Thibodeau um, said last week, Grant, about Kenneth Mann? Go ahead. <laughs> you know what he said? He actually compared him to DJ Ward. And he said Kenneth Mann is bigger than DJ Ward. Yeah, I, I saw the exact same thing. Um, I mean, in pa- and I mean, that's relevant not, I mean, because you said that that was pads, crazy. But. There's no way that Kenneth Mann's bigger than DJ Ward. Yeah, so. I, I I guess I, I I can't argue with and yeah, I, I, on the roster I think he's bigger too. I, I guess I, I have no I have no recourse except for saying that DJ Ward clearly looks bigger than Kenneth Mann on TV on the in, in my opinion clearly looked bigger that that's all i can say i clearly I, I guess i was wrong but that's all i can say um anyway we'll, we'll move on uh monty bledsoe is going to play the three tech uh defensive tackle position that's what he played all of last year he's going to do it again this year uh he's he's kind of a guy who we hear a lot of hype of um and he's been he's been a pretty you know okay to solid player for the shooters no, but he, he didn't hasn't... play at all last year he moved around he wasn't just entrenched in that spot he played a bunch of they, different spots in the D line they, last year. They, they they move around a lot. They move around a lot. He he mostly plays the three tech defensive tackle. The defensive though. line seems it's very similar to the offensive line at Oklahoma, where it's like they ask everybody to be able to do everything. The and more that's not the more good. I learn about that's it, that's bad. By yeah, the way, yeah, I, I don't bad. I don't like that either. It's but it's fine on the offensive line. I'm not too thrilled about it on the defensive line. But anywho, uh, so the, the the nose guard is going to be Neville Gallimore. Um, it just seems to be. Uh, what we're hearing out of camp, and then also I, I like to put. Uh, I, well, well, we won't do that because the the jack is. You, you probably have them part as the linebackers. I have them part as the defensive line because that's that, that's what they use the jack as um, in a lot of their defenses. So, but we can we can wait till we move on to the linebackers. So I have Man Bledsoe and Gallimore. All right. Well, you go ahead with the linebackers now because once again you were the only one that actually had a base nickel prediction. I I did mine just on the base three four defense. So uh, just a. Uh, make it clear the nickel is going to have a jack a will and a mike that's it for the linebackers and the rest will be the defensive backs correct that is correct yes all right so go ahead with uh your nickel predictions uh what were they in may and what are they now all right so predictions in may lee at jack this is this is another change for me i had mark jackson jr at jack uh, in May, and that has changed. I, I, I now have Addison Gums there. It seems like that's kind of the writing on the wall throughout camp. Um, I know it, it looks like uh, on that same uh, the football brainiacs, the same post they had last week when they were talking about the free safety battle. I think they also had a little blurb about uh, about Jack as well. And it looks like maybe they're they're sort of. Ma- and this is you know 
this is notes and, and source notes from other people. They're saying that uh, Addison Gums looks like maybe he's a guy that they uh, really good at stopping the run. He may be a first and second down guy, and they might bring Mark Jackson on as a pass rusher. Uh, so maybe look at that. But um, all the talk coming out of camp, it sounds like Addison Gums has that has has the one spot at Jack pretty much locked down. All right. And then, or am I, am I going to keep going with yeah, the yeah, 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 keep going. Okay. And so the other positions are our weak side linebacker, which is what Emmanuel Beal played last year, and, and middle linebacker with Kenneth Murray. Um, I had uh, these the same as last year. So Kenneth Murray and Caleb Kelly. So Kenneth Murray is going to be the middle linebacker. Caleb Kelly will be the will. Um, don't listen to any Deshaun White or Curtis Bolton talk. That's not happening. All right. On my uh, my predictions, um, I had at Jack. Uh, it's the same. It's exactly the same. I had Mark Jackson at Jack. I've switched it to Gums. And again, I, I'll I will put a lot of stock into the Brainiacs. I'll give them credit. They are uh, they're well sourced. It's quality content, and if they're hearing that Gums is the player that's getting reps with the ones right now, it it makes sense to me because Gums is is a little bigger than Mark Jackson. He's longer, uh, you know, and and he was a, a four star recruit. So was Mark Jackson, though. So I mean, Mark Jackson's a player. They're both good, I, but they might have different skill sets. Yeah. Lee, I keep saying, I keep saying, and what for what OU wants to do with their Jack position, Addison Gums is a better fit than Obo Okoronko. He is for what they want to do with their jack position. All right. So, yeah, I have Gums, and then I also have, of course, uh, Kelly and Murray. Kelly at Will, Murray at Mike uh, in the you know, for Nickel. So, so far, I believe we're through six positions, and I have two changes from May. And, Grant, is that two changes for you as well? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, one change on the D-line and, and one at uh, Jack. All right, so at... Uh, again, we're doing the nickel defense predictions. Who's going to start day one? We're into the secondary now, and there's five secondary players, of course. That's nickel defense for you. There's a free safety, a strong safety, two corners, and a nickel back. And for this one, let's go position by position. I'll begin, and I'll start with the cornerbacks because that's the easiest one, and I would have guessed that you and I are the same on this one. Cornerbacks, Trey Norwood, and Parnell Motley. What do you think? That's what, that's, that's what it's looking like unless uh... – Unless Trey Brown can can kind of come on strong at the end, it's looking like it's going to be Motley and Norwood. A lot of lot of positive talk, uh, you know, from Parnell Motley again, looking good, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so yeah, let's get those two positions out of the way. We think it's going to be Norwood and Motley. They seem like it's their positions to lose right now. They uh, Motley started pretty much all last year. He did start all last year, and then of course Norwood started uh, uh, the latter half of the year. Let's go to the safeties now, and this is where it's been the most interesting. We'll go with uh, the least uh, controversial one. We'll start, you know, let's just start with the nickelback. And the nickelback's going to be Buki. What about you? Oh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, there's, there's, there's no question. Uh, you know, I'm on record. I don't know about Grant. I'm on record. I think he's going to be uh, the best defensive back for Oklahoma. I think he's better than anybody Oklahoma had last year. Uh, again, this is based off of his high school tape, what I've heard. And what I've seen in the spring game, I think this guy is the real deal. Sure, a lot of pressure on the kid. I know it. Uh, he hasn't played a snap of real college football yet, but I think he can handle it. Uh, so Buki, so we all we're in agreement. Now the two positions where it's, you know, it's it's up in the air. There's a battle for it. Let's start with free safety because we already talked about the free safety earlier, Grant. I'll let you go first. It's gonna be Justin Broyles. I think the writing's on the wall here. Um, 
and you know, my 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 reasoning is very unscientific. Of course, I say I it's it's just because you hear a lot of talk out of Justin Broyles over the course of fall camp. Um, the coaches keep mentioning Justin Broyles, and people have to ask about Robert Barnes. Justin Broyles is your starting free safety. And who did you have at free safety in May? I had Robert Barnes there. Okay. So I mean, it's a surprise. I was, uh, I, I really feel like that was a position that Robert Barnes, that was his for the taking, and it, it still could be. I guess you know, it's a lot of, you know, making a lot of assumptions, but you know, we can only go off of the news that we've gotten over the last two weeks, and it, it doesn't, and and not to say that you know, I've heard talk of Robert Barnes playing poorly at all. It's just, uh, it, it's been more of just Broyles has been that good. Now, and I got ahead of myself too. As far as Nickelback goes, who did you have starting at Nickel in May? Did you have Buki there already? Yeah. Okay. Because I didn't do a Nickelback in May, and uh, in mm-hmm. yeah, like pre pre spring, I didn't have Buki in the starting lineup. But as as spring practice wore on, it became obvious that oh yeah, like obviously this guy's going to start. Mm-hmm. So that's when I, I post spring I added him in. And to recap too, both of us have had Norwood and Motley at the cornerback spots uh, going back pretty far. So. Um, I really want really want Trey Brown to take that from 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 Norwood though. I, I don't it probably not gonna happen. That's that's a good thing because it looks like, you know, Norwood has progressed, but was really hoping that Trey Brown was gonna take that from Norwood. So you've got Justin Broyles starting at free safety before you had Robert Barnes in May. For me yep. in May, I had Khalil Houghton starting at free safety. Now we know Houghton is up for the strong safety job. He's battling it out uh with with uh, Jordan Parker. So right now at free safety, I'm with you. I'm going to go with Justin Broyles just for everything else we've already talked about. Uh, it seems like Broyles has, uh, uh, he's winning the job right now. There's still time for Barnes to take it back from him, but we're going to go with Broyles right now. It just sounds like he's incredibly confident and he's making a lot of plays in practice. So I'll go with Justin Broyles. We have one spot left. That's strong safety. Now I'll go, I'll start first and back in the spring, uh, and again, I didn't do a nickel prediction. I just did base three, four back in the spring. I had Buki starting at strong safety because I think that when Oklahoma is not going to be in, uh, in nickel when they're in three, four, I mean, Buki's going to be out there and I think he's going to be at strong safety when he's out there because that's what he played in the spring game. He played strong safety, he played nickel whenever they're five DBs. Um, so I didn't have a, uh, so I guess technically I had, I had Buki there in the, uh, in the spring in May, uh, now at strong safety, I have Khalil Houghton winning that job. I have just experience, and it sounds like he's having a, a really good camp. I know Lincoln Riley said some real nice things about him the other day. So I'll go with the veteran. I'll go with Houghton starting at strong safety. Grant, what say you? Yeah, I have Houghton as well, and and I also had Houghton there in the spring. Um, this is the one I'm I'm least sure about out of all the positions on defense, Lee, uh, because it, it's it's the one where it kind of seems like the 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 position battle is the least uh, it's the least clear. It seems like it seems like both guys are at least you know from from the notes and whatever we've been able to read both guys kind of just keep one up in each other is the the sense that I get from it um and so I'm going with Houghton here I'm just gonna I'm, I'm gonna err on the on the side of experience and I think Cleo Houghton's a good player I think he's been a really solid player for OU his entire career um I'd, I'd say I'd say a lot about Jordan Parker you know coming off an ACL at a new position if he can beat out Khalil Houghton I, I mean I, that'd be say a lot about him for sure you know and then you have as reserves, I mean, you have if, if that's who ends up starting, I mean, you got Jordan Parker, you got Trey Brown, you got Patrick Fields, uh, Miguel Edwards, too, as a, as a young cornerback. I mean, you have some really talented players in the secondary as reserves. And 
I mean, there's some guys that are, are going to get some run. I mean, they're going to play because there's a lot of talent back there, I think. So um, I think Oklahoma, again, I've said it a million times, I think they're really strong in the secondary. And I, I'm just – it's the – of all the positions, it's in the – of all the units, the secondary is the least of my concerns when it comes to the defense. I think the secondary is going to be fine. Yeah, I, I think they're they're going to get by this year a lot on pure athleticism, pure uh, just coverage ability, I think, um, with a lot of these guys. Um, something we haven't seen in a long time. It's 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 by far their deepest, most talented position group on the entire team. So yeah, I mean you can uh, you can hold these tapes, hold these podcasts, and you know six weeks into the year when the secondary is getting torched and we're just looking like idiots, you can call us on it, go for it. But I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I think the secondary is going to be good. All right, so that's uh, our updated defensive starters predictions i always have a tough time saying that but I, I think it makes sense to people out there uh we'll see how close we are once we get the uh the first depth chart released and and last year the first depth chart didn't come out until like a week before the first game not even i know lincoln riley held it back pretty late and then they made it a whole thing on the website to uh to release the depth chart so they'll probably do a similar thing this year i'm sure so oh i totally forgot about that yeah because i remember oh, I the, the, yeah they yeah. They did like the whole event on Twitter to or whatever it was. No, it was on the uh, it was on the show. It was on like this the the sooner the whatever the sooner sports network show or whatever yeah. it was like the coach's yeah. corner. Because yeah, I remember like we were asking for weeks. Hey, you know, he, when's the first depth chart coming out? He got and he you know Lincoln Riley is very polite and nice about it, and you know, obviously they had a plan the whole time that they were going to do it in this format, and then they finally did. So I would only assume that's going to happen again. So maybe like a week from now, we'll ask him again about it and then wait for him to say, oh, we're going to release it when we release it, blah, blah, blah. So um, let's see. Time for listener questions. So we have a few questions from Facebook. Philip asked us some questions that we weren't able to get to last week. And so uh, they're still relevant, though, this week. So we'll uh, I guess we'll get to them now. So here's the first question from Philip. He has three of them. Philip says... Watching last year's game against OSU, Rudolph put the ball in some really tight windows when Oklahoma's guys were playing what looked like tight coverage on the receiver. Then Oklahoma put 48 points up on Georgia. What are your thoughts on this question? Is the Big 12 defenses really terrible, or do the SEC offenses, are they just really average? The, 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 the time honored question of big 12 offenses versus sec defenses it's a it's a perfect uh summer you know radio show podcast uh topic i would say and um grant i'll let you have your first thoughts on this i actually uh, to let you know i went back because i have too much time in my hands i went back and looked at sec teams and big 12 teams from last season just 2017 all of their games uh out of conference against power five teams and i i looked at all of their yards per play in all their games so i looked at like each team's average yards per play just in general throughout the entire year and then i was curious on each team's average yards per play and defensive yards per play against non-conference opponents power five so i will uh, i'll share those those numbers with you momentarily but i'll let you jump in and, and give your thoughts on this uh, age-old question it's a multifaceted answer i mean the a simplistic answer is both actually it, there there's a lot of big 12 defenses that are terrible 
There's some SEC offenses that are terrible. There's some Big 12 offenses that are incredible. There's some SEC offenses that are incredible. That's pretty much what it is. Really what it comes down to is the SEC has a much, much better collection of talent than the Big 12 does. That's not – It's if, if you dispute that, you're wrong. It's just That's just how it is. Um, and so when you get into stuff like this, I, it's, it's such an interesting argument because, I mean, hell, hell, I remember in December when everyone was saying Georgia's offense is average, you know – Oklahoma's seen a ton of offenses like them. Does anyone really think Georgia's offense was average now? Grant, like, I'm telling you, Georgia's offense was was good. It was a good offense, but Oklahoma's defense was so bad, so 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 bad. Yeah, I, I'm just, I I'm just saying it's it, it's a multifaceted answer. the The answer is both. There's the the defenses in the SEC. Uh, the, the good defenses in the SEC are 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 better than the good defenses in the Big Twelve. I, I think that's that's fairly yeah because we, you know we're we're talking about like the Alabamas and the LSU's of the world against basically TCU and Texas from last year. Well, now I it's thought turned, TCU now and Texas it's last into the year. Alabamas and Georgias of the world. LSU's kind of fallen back, but I get your point. Yeah, I mean, I was just yeah, Alabama, Georgia, Auburn now is playing really good defense. South Carolina is playing really good defense. Um, no, it's it, I here's the thing. I I do Big Twelve defenses are bad. They are. A lot of them are really bad, um, but some Big Twelve, op- a lot of Big Twelve offenses are really good too. Uh, so it's that, that that's that's what it is. The Big Twelve just does not recruit defensive talent as well as the SEC does, um, and the Big Twelve recruits you know offensive skill talent and quarterbacks really well because they're all you know they have the blueprint. They're in Texas, which produces the best quarterbacks in the country, the best high school quarterbacks in the country. So that's I think that's why you see the the discrepancy. The SEC is in the area of the country that just that develops just a lot of big athletes it's like freak athletes uh big 12 country develops skill players and quarterbacks there you go yeah i think you're right generally i i agree with everything you said it's it's there's so much more talent in the big 12 uh, i'm sorry in the sec you look at the recruiting rankings and the guys they get uh, but let's uh let's go over these numbers though so uh, just to make it as clear as possible the sec of course has 14 teams the big 12 has 10 teams uh overall the SEC, the SEC offenses, all 14 offenses uh, combined, uh, all the games last year, they averaged per play, yards per play, because that's a measurement that we like to use here on West of Everest, yards per play. The SEC averaged 5.4 yards per play on average throughout the entirety of the season, all the games. Uh, in the Big 12, the Big 12 teams, their offenses in 2017 on a yards per play basis averaged six yards per play. So more than half a yard more per on average than the SEC. So again, SEC offenses averaged 5.4 yards per play. Big 12 offenses averaged 6.0 yards per play. So six yards per play. So right there, I mean, a basic stat there is that the Big 12 offenses were better on a yards per play basis, actually quite a bit better than the SEC. Now, let's go to the defense. SEC defenses on a yards per play basis in 2017 averaged five yards per play, uh, allowed five yards per play. And now this is where the stat shows that SEC defenses are quite a bit better than Big 12 defenses. Big 12 defenses, yards per play average allowed in 2017, 5.7 yards per play so again sec defenses allowed an average of five yards per play in 2017 the big 12 5.7 yards per play but it's kind of interesting how each conference's strength is is very similar so like 
Big 12 is 0.6 yards per play more than the SEC offenses. And then on the flip side, the Big 12 defenses allow 0.7 more yards per play than the SEC. It's kind of interesting how it's that it's that close in the disparity. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just it's the SEC is, you know, has the best players just in general. I mean, I think that's. That that's been the case for for well over a decade now. It's probably been the case for for decades in college football, actually. And here's the thing: when you take the teams outside of their conferences and play Power Five teams last year, the numbers in the Big Twelve are pretty much identical, and the numbers in the SEC are not as identical, but pretty close as well. It's it's kind of kind of surprising. So. The Big 12, out of all the Big 12 teams against Power 5 teams last season, out of the Big 12 conference, there were 17 total games. You know, this is like OU versus Georgia, OU versus Ohio State, uh, Kansas State versus Vanderbilt, so on and so forth. And I went through all of them. And so Big 12 offenses against Power 5 teams outside of the Big 12 did pretty much the same as on a yards per play basis, just slightly worse. They were uh, 5.9 yards per play. And again, it was 6.0 yards per play on average. So just so almost the same. Then defensively, it was almost the same too. Just just slightly worse. Uh, overall, it was 5.7. Outside of the Big 12, it was 5.8 yards per play allowed. Kind of interesting. Now for the SEC, they played 23 games against Power Five teams outside of the SEC. Defensively, exactly the same. They allowed five yards per play defensively. Now, offensively was a little worse than the Big 12 offensively. The SEC averaged 5.1 yards per play, and against everybody else, they were at 5.4. So not a big difference, but a bigger difference than the Big 12. So I know it's a lot of numbers I'm throwing at you. I'll try to make it as simple. In summary, last season when Big 12 teams played Power 5 competition outside of the Big 12, offenses did not suffer a major letdown in fact i thought uh, no i thought I, the numbers bear that big 12 offenses averaged just 0.1 yards per play fewer outside of big 12 competition on the defensive side of the ball big 12 teams also did not change very much big 12 defenses allowed 0.1 yard per play more outside the big 12 now in the sec when teams left the conference to play power five schools the offenses took more of a hit than their Big 12 counterparts. SEC offenses averaged 0.3 yards per play fewer outside of SEC play. But on the flip side, SEC defenses allowed the same number of yards per play outside SEC play as they did inside SEC play. I realize that probably was complicated as well. <laughs> so, so my last thought on this, and I'll let you talk, Grant, is my take is that the Big 12 offenses in general – are slightly better than SEC offenses. But on the flip side, SEC defenses are quite a bit better than Big 12 defenses in general. And uh, no matter in or out of conference, SEC defenses allow nearly one full yard per play less than Big 12 defenses in general. So I think that's a big number right there. And I think I think in general, you know, when you... You, you can remove Oklahoma from this equation for the last, you know, two or three seasons... But usually the best offense in the SEC is just as good as the best offense in the Big 12, too. Just just saying. So it's it's the SEC is a much better conference is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> All right. Phillip's second question. It's a Big 12 related question. 
Philip asks, does Kansas State look as good as everyone is making them out to be? Now, I feel like I need to look up. Where was Kansas State picked to finish in the Big 12 preseason poll? I should know that. I've read Kansas State as, as basically every national you know, college football writers sleeper team in the Big 12. Um, so basically the, the theory behind Kansas State is this, is that they, they basically return everyone on offense except for Byron Pringle. Um, and whenever that happens with, with Bill Snyder coach teams, that's usually when they have really good teams. Now, the caveat here is that Alex Delton is the worst thrower of the, of the football in all of college football. So, uh, but he's also, you know, maybe the best runner as a quarterback in all of college football. So that kind of evens each other out. Uh, they have Skylar Thompson as well, who, who, who played pretty well, uh, you know, down the stretch for Kansas state, but, uh, Alex Delton had that really good game against UCLA in the cactus bowl or, or whatever it was. Honestly, the the thing with Kansas State is always we'll see. I have no idea. Uh, I I know from a talent perspective, uh, the only team they're probably more talented than in this conference is, is Kansas. To be to be honest with you, um, so I I know from that perspective they're going to be outmanned quite a bit in terms of talent from a lot of people they play this year. But that's the case every year for the most part. Um, wait and see on Kansas State. I always kind of wait and see on them because their their roster never impresses me. To be honest with you. Uh, so we just have to see what you know what Bill Snyder has has cooked up in his lab this year, basically. Yeah, they're picked sixth in the uh, Big Twelve media preseason poll, so at least the Big Twelve media is not that high on Kansas State. Uh, I was looking more into the Wildcats, and I mean, I think a lot of the things you said is true. I mean, basically, the thought is they have all their offensive line back, so uh, Kansas State's usually a team that's able to run the football pretty well. And the thought is, well, they have this. Big old offensive line returning. You have a really good running back returning as well in Alex Barnes. They're going to be able to run the football with with Delton or Thomas or Thompson. I'm sorry, and and you know apparently Thompson's a little better thrower of the football than Delton as well. So they'll be able to figure it out. The I I agree with you in the wait and see thing. What's interesting about Kansas State this year to me, and I just found this out because I, I you know I don't I don't do in depth research on every single Big Twelve team all throughout the summertime. But uh, did you know that Kansas State they're replacing both their defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator this year? No, I didn't know that. So, yeah, they're getting a brand-new defensive coordinator and a brand-new offensive coordinator. Uh, the defensive coordinator is a guy that's been in the program for a long time. I can't think of his name right now, and he's a real young guy. So the the word on the street is that he'll be a little more aggressive and the thought process is that maybe Kansas State will improve their pass defense because I think he was the secondary coach for a while. And I feel like I should know this, his name, and I'm going to look at it right now just so I don't sound like a hack on this podcast. Let's see, Tom Hayes was the guy who retired. He'd been there for a while. Blake, it looks like Siler, S-E-I-L-E-R, is their new defensive coordinator. And I guess he was a linebacker's coach before. So, uh, And then they have a new offensive coordinator as well. But, I mean, Bill Snyder's got his own offense, so it's not that they're going to change away their offense at all, from what I understand. They're just going to kind of – maybe bring a little extra juice to it. Um, so anyway, I, like how will the new coordinators fare? Like, how, like will they make oh, uh, Kansas State better? Uh, Andre Coleman, by the way, is, is the new offensive coordinator. Or will this be a disaster because they're younger and maybe they don't know as much and whatever. But Bill Snyder is such a, a fantastic coach that I would lean towards these guys probably know what they're going to be doing. They know what they're doing. They're probably pretty solid. So I've, I've kind of evolved a bit on Kansas State. I had them pretty low. I can't remember where I had them ranked, but I, I'm starting to think maybe I, I could be wrong about Kansas State. They might be a viable team. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I perfectly expect Kansas State to kind of be what they're always this year, which is really annoying, and they're going to win seven or eight games. And that's, <laughs> oh, that's, that's what they are. That's what they'll always be. And finally, Phillip's last question from Facebook here in our listener question segment. Philip says, Joe Klatt says that Florida Atlantic could be an upset for Oklahoma. You've broken down this season's games already, but are there any games that stand out to you in Oklahoma's schedule that really make you nervous? And uh, Phillip's referencing a podcast we had a, a while back as we kind of went through the early stages of every single one of Oklahoma's opponents this season and kind of gave you all our thoughts on each opponent. And I believe it was, what, in June maybe we did that, Grant, or it was something like that where – uh, we were trying to think of something interesting to talk about in the summertime. Um, let's see. Any other games that make me nervous? Uh, the, the first one that comes to mind outside of Florida Atlantic is uh, Iowa State, the first road game. I just I like Iowa State a lot more this year than I think a lot of people do. I think Matt Campbell's a great coach. I think most people probably think he's a good coach, too. I think he I – I totally forgot this. He won Big 12 Coach of the Year last season, which is like how did Lincoln Riley not get that, I guess. Campbell I mean Campbell had a great year too um, so I'd say Iowa State off the top of my head worries me because it's the first road game and I think Iowa State's a good good team and uh, I know that you don't mind 11 a.m. road kickoff scramp but I'm kind of weary of them because you know that uh, by far the best time to kick off on the road yeah, by far I'm just afraid that no one's going to be awake oh people will be awake they I mean they have to get up every single morning super early I'm sure yeah they do. it's That's not going to be that weird for them um I, yeah, I, I, the, the, the game that stands out the most to me outside of FAU, because right now FAU is absolutely the game that I'm most scared of on the schedule. Like, it's not even really particularly close. Um, but other than that, obviously Texas always is going gonna, is, is gonna, to, after FAU, is going to be their toughest game. Um, and then after that, it's at TCU, I, I think, is the other game. Uh, always looking at the road trip. So at TCU, um, at, at Texas Tech, you know, going to Lubbock is never easy. Um, I, I think last year it was, you know, that Baylor game was the one that I was the under the radar one I was pointing to telling everyone to be careful for. Um, you sure yeah, were, I, I thought you were crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, it really, the, the TCU game, I think is gonna be really difficult this year that in Texas tech, I think if, if you're going to point out a game that might, you know, sneak up and bite them, it, it's that Texas tech game in Lubbock. Yeah, it's always – I think we talked about this on the previous podcast, those games going to Lubbock are interesting. Just because, I mean, because you never know. I mean, Texas Tech could just – could could explode and, and throw 50 points on the board before you know it, just, you know, just as a fluke. Um, so – Well, the last time they before. went to Lubbock, it was that just one of the worst football games that has that ever been played. hideous, hideous football game. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like that Phillip brings up – FAU because I'm going to keep pounding it over the next three weeks. That's just a really, really difficult opening game. FAU is a top 25 team. I know they're not in the polls, but they are one of the 25 best teams in the country. This team is every bit as good as that Houston team that beat OU two years ago. So it's, it's not an easy game at all. That's the listener question segment. We have a little bit more time. Uh, Grant, want to talk a little Baker Mayfield real fast? Uh, we'll save this for the end. Always. I, mean, I love talking Baker Mayfield. I thought he did very well in his preseason debut on Thursday against the Giants. Uh, he just what stood out to me the most is that he looked like Baker Mayfield. He looked like the guy that we've watched play at Oklahoma for the past three seasons. Uh, he just had a different jersey on, and I know that sounds kind of boring, but it really is true. It's it's nice. It's refreshing because sometimes you see these college quarterbacks, and yeah, they had a great college career, 
or they looked really good in college, but then they don't look as sharp when they play in the NFL and even in the preseason. But Baker looked like Baker to me. He 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 showed the ability to to keep his eyes downfield when the pocket got muddy. He was able to move around in the pocket very well. He looked very comfortable in there. His accuracy was nice, despite the eleven for twenty. Uh, he was able to. It, it was a deceiving eleven for twenty, I thought. And uh, he just he looked like he was in control for the most part. And uh, I will say though also that Tyrod Taylor looked very good as well in his two series. So. I get why Tyrod Taylor is the number one quarterback because Tyrod Taylor didn't do anything to show that he shouldn't be the number one quarterback in, in his, his uh, small sample size time. So I think the Browns, I mean, both of their starting both of their quarterbacks, one and two, played very well in the preseason in that game. And I watched every single snap and I, I enjoyed it immensely. Grant, what do you think about Mayfield's first game? Uh, so I, you know, I'll push back on you a little bit. I don't you saying that he looked like Baker Mayfield? You know, I agree to it to an extent, but I mean, there there are parts of his game that I thought looked a lot more refined, and you could tell he's been working on them. You know, mostly talking about his pocket presence, he was phenomenal in the pocket, like the best, better than a majority of starting NFL quarterbacks in the pocket that night. Just being able to sense the pressure, and you've said that step before, up, right? Yep, like, or, step up, yeah. keep his keep his eyes downfield, but better. He's better than he was at Oklahoma. You can tell that he's worked really hard at it. Um, and so there's a throw in, in, you know, in particular that I'm thinking of where he, he sidestepped a guy and he, um, he, uh, he kept his shoulder square towards the receiver and he, uh, he, he shuffled up in the pocket, kept his eyes downfield. And it was, it, he looked like Peyton Manning. It was textbook. Um, so I'm, I am very, very encouraged with that. That, 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 that is telling me that he gets it and that, that he did not look like that in college. He did not play like that in college. And that play um, so, that you're talking about, what made it even better is that was a third and 18. And he converted but it. That, I mean that. Yeah, I know. It's a, but he. But the way that he stepped up in the pocket there and hit the receiver over the middle of the field, that was Peyton Manning esque. That looked like Peyton Manning. I know that's ridiculous, but on, on a one on a on a one place sample size, he. That's who he looked like. And Grant, for those of you who don't know, has watched a lot of Peyton Manning over the years, considering that the Colts are Grant's favorite team. So. Grant, uh, Grant has watched a lot of Peyton Manning, and uh, of course, obviously with the and Broncos that was, too. That was the most underrated part of Peyton Manning's game is 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 how how much pressure he evaded. I, a lot of people don't realize how many bad offensive lines that Peyton Manning played with, and he was always at the bottom of the league in sacks taken because he was so good at maneuvering in the pocket. Um, and, and that's just I I saw Peyton Manning and in, in the way that that Baker Mayfield was maneuvering in the pocket, and I guarantee you he has watched film of Peyton Manning. I bet anyone who asks him, he will say it. I guarantee it. Yeah, I'm glad that you too, you brought up that he he looked better than a lot of NFL quarterbacks, and I actually have watched a lot. I watched a lot of the preseason games this past week because I'm just i so happy to have football back, and, and uh, I got the NFL Game Pass where you can watch all the games back, and they have a condensed version so you don't have to spend too much time watching, and and just uh, a quick anecdote, I, I watched the Broncos versus Vikings because I was curious to see what Chad Kelly would look like because I heard he had a pretty good game, and I just was kind of curious to see what, what Cousins looked like on his first drive. And just looking at the Broncos, I mean, Case Keenum is their starter. I think he played two series, and they had Paxton Lynch come in and then Chad Kelly. I mean, Baker Mayfield looked like so, he looked so much better than all three of those quarterbacks and that includes case keenum who had two series and just he looked like case keenum he he looked like he knew uh you know he, he had one read and he went to it he checked down the two drives he had didn't do anything particularly interesting or exciting sure they probably didn't ask him to do a whole lot the first game they don't want to get him injured but to be fair he was also going against the vikings first team defense 
Yeah. Best best okay. de- they have the best defense in the world, so I mean that's fair. I mean I, I'm we'll we'll see about that. I mean that best defense in the world last year got lit up in the NFC Championship game. What a joke that was if they're so good. I mean they just got embarrassed okay. by the Eagles. Okay. You you know damn well in the NFL that sometimes it does not matter. It does not matter how good you are, you're going to get beat. And that was one well, of those instances. You can get beat, but you don't get beat that badly whenever Okay. That, you, I mean that was You watch you watch that game. The Eagles played a perfect game. Come on. Yeah, but I mean, when the defense is that take... good, you should not get blown out that badly when you have that good of a defense. That was yeah. The Patriots, the Patriots had great. a top. The, the Patriots had a top five defense in the Super Bowl and literally did not force a, a punt in that game. The Patriots' defense was not a top five defense last year. Go look. No it up. way. But the Patriots had like a very average defense last season. <clears throat> go look it up. That's not a that's not a way to cite things. You can't just tell me to go look it up. That doesn't matter. We're uh, I I'm. The whole like a lot of these like the Vikings are the best team and like oh my gosh Super Bowl favorites I think that's ultimate pump the brakes guys whatever no, no no quarterback that starts or no team that starts Kirk Cousins should be a favorite for anything but they they certainly have the most talented defense in the league I'm just I'm concerned whenever their defense is that great and uh, their head coach is a big time defensive guy and they get embarrassed on one of the biggest stages in football that's not a that's good a bad, sign at all. It's, it's a bad take in NFL football. No, it's, it's not. Take. No, it's not at all. That's not a bad take at all. It's it's the one of the biggest stages next to the Super Bowl, and you get absolutely embarrassed in a game. I, I, Whatever your I, strength I, is supposed to be, defense. That's not great. The amount of the amount of times that I saw Peyton Manning just freaking shred the number one defense in the league oh, is, no. is is too many times to count. Come on. And sometimes you just you just don't. I mean, it's it, sometimes Lee. The best offenses in the NFL are always better than the best defenses. No in, in way. This day and what age. about whenever always. Peyton Manning got embarrassed in that Super Bowl against the Seahawks, when the, he just got absolutely destroyed by Seattle in that game? They were prepared. Yeah, that was a top five Seattle offense, and Denver, I'm pretty sure, had a top five defense. And so, what like does it not work in reverse? Seattle like had just totally ran Denver in that game. Denver's defense was really good reverse? that season too. Exactly, and Seattle shredded them. Uh, they didn't get really shredded. them. I, the, the Seattle defense put uh, oh, themselves oh, in a lot on. of great spots because of the way they just destroyed. Man, I was so surprised it's, by that game. It's 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 fair to criticize the Vikings, I, I suppose, for you know for getting uh, for getting run out of the stadium by the Eagles. I guess you can criticize them, but you can't use that as an example of and, and completely ignore the eighteen games they played before that, where they were the best defense in the league. No, no, you can't I, do that. That's I, okay, yeah, I, I agree. I guess my point is whenever you're that good all season long and you're one one away from the Super Bowl and you flat out don't show up, that's not a good sign whenever your strength is defense. You, like, not once last year did Oklahoma's offense just not show up. I mean, that was. Their defense didn't show up a ton of times. Well, their defense is not their strength. I mean, I'm talking like the Vikings had this all great, amazing defense and then. It where was it? So and, and not to mention they got a lead too. The Vikings went down and scored to start the game. It's not like they were playing behind. They gave I mean, them a seven I, nothing lead. I, that was some. I'd be really Lee, sometimes worried about there's that. just nothing you can do. I don't know TCU against Oklahoma the first time they played this in 2017 played perfect defense on a ton of plays and they still got shredded. So I that that can happen sometimes. That's that's all I'm saying. The Eagles played a perfect game in that game. I mean, there's not. <laughs> this is that, that, that. I like, think this is the most ridiculous tangent we've ever gotten on in this. Podcast. It is, but it's just like if I mean we're talking football. And if you're going to say something dumb, I'm going to call you out. Well, I don't think it was dumb. I, I, I disagree that up. Oh, that just happened. Not in the NFL. Not when it's that big of a game. Yeah, I know. Like, what the Vikings get destroyed like 
20 years ago, like by the Jets and like the like wild card round was like 41 no, to three was, or something like that. Or No, it's 41 donut, man. That was that was the NFC championship game. It was like the wild card round. It wasn't the NFC championship I, it was, game. It was the NFC championship game. No, it wasn't. It was. Okay. No, no, it wasn't. It was like early on in the playoffs. Again, how much money do you have on you right now? A dollar. It was January 14th, 2001. New York Giants 41, Minnesota Vikings 0. NFC Championship. Wait. Ike Hilliard scored the first touchdown, a touchdown pass from uh, from Kerry Collins. Wait, what year was it? It was the 2000 season. The game happened January 14th, 2001. They lost 41 to nothing. Uh, the, the Super Bowl two weeks later, Baltimore beat the Giants by like the same score that the Giants beat the Vikings. <laughs> oh, the Giants. I was talking about the Jets. I'm thinking about the Jets Colts. Oh yeah, that was that was in wild card and they lost uh I think it was like like 90 to nothing or something like that. It wasn't. It was okay. it was like 40 to nothing. But uh yeah, that was that was Tony Junji's first year with the Colts and then after that year that's when they went on their run of uh 12 consecutive victories for like nine straight seasons and and whatnot. All right, nobody cares about this that's listening to this podcast that they gotten this far. Uh any other thoughts on Mayfield? I mean, how, how about this? Your favorite hard knocks moment? I, I the just the little montage of him practicing was the best. I, I like watching him play football. They, yeah. The other stuff is is fine, you know. But but I can take it or leave it. I, I want to see how he how he is on on the football field. That's that's why I watch Hard Knocks. The the, the fluff pieces off the field are fine. Like I, I you kind of have to put those in there as transition stuff. I like the stuff on the field. That, that's my favorite part. Yeah, same here. Because we hadn't really seen a whole lot of him out of camp except for like grainy Twitter videos and things like that. So it was, and, and yeah. I like. I, I I like behind the behind the scenes stuff too, like in meeting rooms. I, I like that stuff too. Oh yeah, obviously. yeah, yeah. And apparently, uh, again, but if you're listening to this, the second episode's already aired. But apparently, there's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be on this episode because I, I heard about some sort of uh, antagonistic flare up between Hugh Jackson and Greg Williams. Did you hear about this? No, but I can't wait. I hope it's on this one. Yeah, we'll, we'll see wait. if it's on this one. I I, I want to say it was something like. Uh, Hugh Jackson got mad at Greg Williams because I guess one of the Browns defensive players, Greg Williams, by the way, is the Browns defensive coordinator. Apparently one of the Browns defensive players like hit Mayfield and like that made Hugh Jackson obviously very mad because you don't touch the quarterback. So, well, I mean, uh, there's not a whole lot of information out there. So, yeah, we'll see if it's in this current episode and then see if uh, I'm so freaking excited for hard knocks now. I'm so that was a hell of a teaser. And also, too, I, just I, I don't watching. want to read anything else about it. I just I'm going to go in blind. <laughs> well, we knew for, uh, we know for sure that it'll have the first preseason game, and we'll get to see kind of the behind the scenes of of Mayfield and all that. We know he played well, so that'll be interesting too. So can't wait. Just for that. phenomenal television. Can't wait. Uh, we're, we've gotten a little long. Do you want to talk about Urban Meyer, or do we even care? No, it's it's a it's a just a really really disgusting situation going on at that school right now. That's that's all I have to say about it. Perhaps we're going to get a resolution, though, by the end of this week, maybe. I know they put a timetable on it like a week and a half ago or like a week ago. So we might get a resolution here soon. So maybe by next podcast, we'll have something more to talk about, even though I guess you won't be here for the next one. So, yeah, if eh, there's, oh well. you, know, you know, when there's a resolution, we'll we'll give our full overarching thoughts on it. I think that's fair. All right. Well, that's it. Um, hope you enjoyed this podcast today. Again, next week, Grant will be out. He'll be on a uh, European 
honeymoon, but I will be back. Don't worry to cover everything that's happened in Oklahoma football since, uh, well, since this last podcast. Uh, until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.